0: Kayla, welcome. So, <laughs> this is why we don't do this live. <laughs> this is what we do
1: every time. Ah. Okay.
2: <laughs> Hi, I'm Rifke Silver. And I'm Alex Fletcher. And this is Normal
0: From Women, the podcast where we embrace the complexities, nuances and joys
2: of from womanhood. Normal From Women is supported by Rifki Gardner, marriage coach. Rifke Gardner is a certified marriage coach trained by Dina Friedman. In her private coaching practice and group coaching programs, she takes women on a transformational marriage journey from conflict and resentment to love and connection. Rivki has successfully empowered women nationally to have an ever-expanding marriage experience of joy and love. Do you want access to practical and powerful tools of how to heal your resentments, open up to your desires in the marriage, and reclaim your power by being true to yourself at the same time as feeling closely connected to your husband? Connect with Rivki at Mastery Coaching by Rivke, R-I-V-K-E, at gmail.com, or call 216-926-9036 and all this information is in our show notes.
0: Hey there, you are listening to our 10th episode of Normal for Women. We've reached a milestone. Alex, I can't believe it. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. Yes, it does. We are definitely having fun with this and
2: we hope you're enjoying Normal for Women too. So this week's episode is a biggie. We're tackling dun-da-da marriage, or really as much as we can tackle in 45 minutes on a podcast. And the only expertise that we have on the topic is that we each are married. (laughs) So whatever experience that comes with it, that's what we're bringing to the table.
0: Yeah. And we obviously don't want to present ourselves as the experts here. That's why we brought in our guest, Kayla Levin, to give us the lowdown on some common issues and struggles she helps women deal with in their marriages. Rivki, go ahead and tell us a little bit about Kayla.
2: Okay. So I've been listening to Kayla's podcast for a while and I love it. Kayla is a newlywed coach who specializes in the entire newlywed experience, taking newly married women from anxious and insecure to confident and connected. So obviously I'm not a newlywed, but I've still been enjoying the content of her podcast. You can find her at her podcast, First Year Married and her website, And
0: Kayla works with married women of all ages and stages, not just newlyweds. So that's important to note. And I've heard her podcast a number of times. I found it to really be chock full of insights and practical advice. And we were so thrilled when she agreed to come on as a guest on Normal for Women.
2: By the end of today's episode, we hope that you walk away with some practical tools and mindsets to improve your marriage or really any close relationship. These tools can be used not just within the marital relationship. So
0: we're going to be asking Kayla what she has found in her coaching experience to be her top common issues that come up in a marriage. She's a coach, so she's the one who has the awareness of many marriages and relationships, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see what she chooses. But I'm curious, Rifki, if we can have the conversation first
2: and talk about what we each would choose. I'd love to do that. I'd like to just first reiterate that our perspective is going to be solely on our experiences and our observations and insight into the from community, since we're not coaches or therapists or rebutsons or experts in any sense of the word.
0: Yeah, I feel like we're always giving that disclaimer here on normal for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) And um, just wanted to mention that we both attended our fair share of Shurim and marriage workshops. And I think it's interesting how much you can learn about what people's struggles are in their marriages. Um, If you pay attention, Mm -hmm. I must also say that when there are these like quote unquote top three or top 10 lists, important things are bound to be left out and marriage of all topics. (laughs) It's the most deeply personal and complex relationship we have. So we are not here to minimize or dismiss anyone's personal struggles or experiences if something doesn't resonate with you. Or if something is missing, either from what we're talking about, risky or what Kayla brings up a little bit later. Yes, I
2: am so glad that you mentioned that, Alex. It's very important. Okay, so I will go first. Number one, communication. I remember distinctly at um, the Bay, Rabbi Shalkovsky would always say that our husband is not a nuvi and we need to actually say what we need. <laughs> and. <laughs> And then tagging on to that is not automatically interpreting things that our husbands say through our own lens, but remembering that maybe he doesn't mean it the way that we think he might mean it. Mm, fantastic. So it's like clear communication? Yeah, just communication in general. It's a very tricky topic. Mm. Um, number mm-hmm. two is having different approaches on practical things like how to approach mealtime, bedtime, homework. Um, All of these little things that can cause conflict and the challenge of being truly on something and not being, you know, resentful or disappointed. Like, well, I wish I could do bedtime like this, but I guess we'll do it your way, you know? (laughs) Um, And then number three is not letting all of the little hurts or misunderstandings or squabbles add up. Um, And to not let those kind of like, you know, strangle the relationship, but to stay connected in a way that keeps the relationship healthy and keeps positive energy flowing between you two.
0: Mm, these are these are all great, very relevant. Uh, we have some overlap, so I. I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah, right. So my thoughts on like the top three areas that for women struggle with in their marriages, I think number one, you, know, you talked about like the ways to stay connected and keeping a relationship healthy. I think that really is is challenging. Mm-hmm. It's the time and the energy that we need to invest in our relationships and keeping each other's love tanks filled. And because our lives are so hectic and, and busy, sometimes it's like the kids come first before we come first. Sometimes it's just like back burner and it's really toxic for a marriage. Like we just have to keep trying to... to you know, show each other the love and build that relationship, even if time is is a rare commodity. Uh, my number two is basically the same as yours. It's just reconciling those differences. And it could be in child-rearing styles, personalities, um, you know, approaches to finances, differences in religious observance. You know, the more, more I talk to women, I, I see that, that that's actually pretty common. A lot of people don't want to talk about it, but, you know, maybe the wife is... Um, less observant than the husband, or vice versa. and that could mm-hmm. that could really be a source of conflict in religious homes. Um, and my third would be just the impact of stress. Our lives are really busy, and I, I wonder about how stress manifests itself in um, our own emotional health and the health of our relationship and like the health of the family unit.
2: Oh, that's an excellent that's an excellent insight, Alex. And I think that you know, like you were saying, that a lot of people don't want to necessarily talk about, like you know, the differences that go on between spouses, because marriage is such a personal relationship. We're not really meant to discuss these problems, details, conflicts. But at the same time, if we don't discuss them, then we all think that we're just experiencing them in a vacuum, alone, the only ones. Mm. Like, we all know it's never. The, we're never the only ones. Let's just say it. we're never the only ones. <laughs> never.
0: And wouldn't it be so cool if we had a listener who was listening to this and was like, "Wait a minute." No one ever talks about this. (laughs) We are talking
2: about it. And now we're going to bring you our conversation with Kayla Levin. Take a listen.
0: Kayla, welcome to Normal from Woman. We are so excited to have you and to snag you. Honestly, I just saw you on the Meaningful Minute. I'm seeing you everywhere. We just first wanted to talk a little bit about who you are, what you do, um, and about that little m- new Meaningful Minute initiative. I'd love to hear a little bit more.
1: Sure. Great. Um, so I'm Kayla Levin. I'm a newlywed coach. I focus in the entire phase of life called being a newlywed. So that includes a lot of marriage stuff and a lot of other things, right? Moving to different places, adulting, um, getting a new job, all of those things, kind of where I focus. Um, but I do do marriage coaching one-on-one with people who've been married longer as well. And Meaningful Minute was really exciting. So basically, I'll I'll, I'll give it this way as, as I've experienced it, is that I... Um, really identified that for myself and for the people that I was coaching inside the from world, I didn't actually start out to work with from people. I started out, my clients were initially all not Jewish. And so I targeted all my things in that way and thought that's where I was going and have been very clearly nudged in a different direction. So I feel like first you're married, I just work here and someone else is clearly running this business. But with Meaningful Minute, really, I think what was, what I was seeing was there's a lot of of focus on creating an ideal and getting clear on our values in the firm world. And this is who I want to be. And this is the kind of wife I want to be, or this is the kind of, this is the type of Jew that I want to be. This is how I want to be showing up. I want to do certain mitzvot. And um, I was getting very stuck personally between like, but I'm human. (laughs) So I, I get what I want to be doing, but I'm not getting there and all of the like willpower and self-criticism and every tool that I thought I had in my tool belt, setting small goals, trying to build habits, like it just wasn't really working for me. And so I really dove into this mindset coaching, um, which I studied through the life coach school with Brooke Castillo and really found that that was kind of, for me, the missing piece, figuring that piece out. So that's kind of what I brought to the podcast. And then as that really spread in the firm community, primarily word of mouth, right? We've, we're hitting this month, I think 150,000 downloads. So it's like, I don't know where that's coming from. Right. Uh, we've done very little advertising overall and, and more and more and more. Like I really just started with people being like, I can tell that's a Sheetal. You're Jewish. Like this is how I, these are the comments I was getting. Right. <laughs> and now I'm explicitly talking, you know, we just had a Sheetal Macher on the podcast. So we're just getting much more explicit, um, because that's The audience that we have, so meaningful minute asked me to come on, and I think that they just saw that I was offering something very different, right? I probably don't really see myself as normal from woman, right? (laughs) And like, Mm -hmm. didn't see the work that I was doing, you know, as like typical. Didn't fit into any of the existing boxes in the from world, right? Like, I'm not a a speaker. I'm not a in. I'm not a like. I didn't really know where I fit, so I just kind of built something else. And I think that that's actually ultimately, I think why they invited me to come on, um, because it was something fresh and new. So, hmm.
0: and for our listeners, your podcast is first year married, and it's yes. not only for newlyweds, it's for women of all ages. And I've listened to many episodes. I've uh, really, really enjoyed it. I'm
2: also a huge, huge fan like it's, I like the whole idea of like the lay leadership. This is something we talk about a lot, Alex. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to have a title or whatever, but we have these co-hosts and these abilities to communicate certain values and certain skills that can really help people. And it doesn't matter if you don't have like the title in front of you, but that you're giving what you can give. And there's clearly a need for it because as you said, like it's it's going like gangbusters.
0: Mm-hmm. And you're a life coach and like what, what you get clients through your podcast, how, how does it work?
1: Yeah, so I certified like, eight years ago through the Rifua Institute, which is based in in Jerusalem. And they talk a lot about kind of working on life coaching skills, but then also how does that work inside our community? Right. Um, And then more recently, I just finished certification through the Life Coach School after having done some training with her in person many years ago. So yeah, most of my clients really come to me through the podcast, which I personally love because they know exactly what they're getting by the time they come to me, right? Mm. Um, There's no surprises. They know that I'm not going to be sitting there, you know, sugarcoating anything. And I'm not going to be sitting there saying, you're right, it's all his fault. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I honestly see not necessarily as my clients, but as, as my people, that's how I sort of think of them in my head all of the podcast listeners. So I'm, I'm just as much there for the people who listen and never hire me. Um, and I love getting the feedback from them of how the podcast alone has really helped them. But yeah, the way that I work with people is primarily through my newlywed mastermind. So I have a really, really small group coaching program. It's three months, it's only six women and it's only for people in their first, this changes between three and five, but their first Mm -hmm. years of marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of my primary way of working with people at this point.
0: Fantastic.
2: Very nice. We wanted to talk about some of the most common, I mean every every relationship is different of course and every husband and wife bring their own unique, you know, strengths and challenges to every relationship, but are there like certain trends that come up more often than not that maybe our listeners could relate to and maybe we could give a little bit of help for everyone.
0: Just to add to the question, are these common from challenges? Are these unique to our from marriages? You know, are normal from marriages. Ha ha ha. ha, ha. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a great follow-up question. Maybe we'll look at that one with each with each one individually to sort of see. I do see like some differences, but at this point I'm working entirely with the from community. So I think the one that I hear a lot, right? Or like if I articulate it to someone, I kind of get the like, oh, <laughs> which is when we need help from our husband. But we become super prickly and unapproachable as we're asking for it.
2: Oh, I feel Hmm. seen. Right. I feel so seen right
1: now. We're we're just like trying to recruit help, but then we have that voice in the back of our head that's like, but it's his job to do this. Like I don't want to make a big deal out of it. Right. Or he should know. Why should I ask? We both live here. We're (laughs) both parents. I'm not the only person to put anything Mm -hmm. in the garbage. Like, it's like that narrative going on. Yeah, like, so why are we making a deal about, I mean, taking out the garbage is just one example, right? But that's the one I get the most practice with. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This one, I think, is for sure across the board, Um, you know, in in and out of the from community. And while, of course, everything I'm going to say when I talk about differences in, in, in men and women, there are, we know that, Men have feminine parts to them. Women have masculine parts. This is, a, yes, modern psychology is going to town on that, but the, we know that from the Torah also, right? But the way that I think of it, the way that I under, I understand this, um, just from the things that I've learned and also, I mean, really my favorite reference point is actually my husband. When I finally say like, wait, what's happening here? Like that can be so amazing. That's one of the things I like to teach my clients. Like he's right there. You could actually just ask him. We have a very different context for help as men and women, whether it's a social code or it's built in, I don't know. But the example I like to give is like, if you worked in an office and, and for three days in a row, you went to get coffee and you asked your coworker if she'd like you to get one for her. And she said, yes. And you got one for her. And then the next day you were like, oh, are you going to get coffee? Do you mind getting for me? And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I won't be able to do that. We'd be like, "Ah, no, (laughs) right? Like that's not really, that's not fair. That's not how it works, right? We have a bit of like a keeping track, tit for tat type of thing, which is a very, very different paradigm from what a man is doing if he's doing something for you. Right. Every time he was getting the coffee, it was a gift, which means it was never deserved. It's not fair. Like by definition, if it's deserved or fair, it was payment. Right. He's trying to give gifts so like they're gift givers. Right. And so when, when this is why we get so frustrated because we, we kind of know intuitively or we've heard it from some marriage things like appreciate that he's taking out the garbage. And we're like, no, 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 no. Tit for tat. It doesn't work in my paradigm. And it even can go so far as to like, what is this going to cost me if I give him all this excitement? Because then it's going to seem like he's doing a really big favor. And now tit for tat, I'm going to have to do something really big to make up for it. So let me just minimize as much as possible. The garbage is not a big deal. You just need to do it. It's your job anyway. Like we try to minimize it so that then we're not like, you know, there's no IOU on us that we have to somehow now do something on our side which of course totally de-energizes him because he's just trying to give you the best gift possible. And we're like, it's not even a big deal. Just take out the garbage, right? (laughs) (laughs) So like, it's just one of those situations where we're just like, you know, I don't know how to say this verbally. I'm just doing it with my hands. Like we're crossing paths, not connecting at all, right? Like we're trying
2: to work in one paradigm, they're working in another one. Basically we're crossing and then neither of us is getting what we actually want. Right.
0: Why is it so complicated? Like why, why can't we just ask for our needs? to be met in a very simple, direct way without all that baggage.
1: So I don't know that it's baggage. Like the way I like to think of it is like, you could have a husband who fulfills his obligations, or you could have a husband who is in constant giving mode, right? Mm -hmm. Either way you can get your needs met. But if I've got a husband who basically like, he's taking out the garbage as a way of showing, bringing me flowers. And he's cleaning the sink as a way of bringing me flowers. Like everything he's doing, he's laying it at my feet as an expression of love. I'm going to be in that marriage, right? Like that's yeah. a lot more when I can allow that and just realize that these are all gifts. There's no there's no expectation of me. He's not going to cash this in at any point. He just wants to be in a relationship where he's making me happy. Then my husband will say like, you know, look at video games. They don't say like, oh, you killed the bad guy. 1.5 points, right? They're like 1500 points. <laughs> this is how guys work. So like, he'll take out the gar- garbage and I'm like 54 points for the garbage. He's like, yes, I got it. Right. Like they just want all the points. They're never cashing in. If they never come back and say like, well, I did all those things for you this week. So now I'm going to go take a nap and you take care of the kids. It doesn't work that way. He just wants to be in a giving mode. Hmm. I, I have a question. Your assumption
0: is that he wants to do those things as a way to give to you. But what happens if he doesn't want to wash the crusty chompot just as much as you don't want to wash it? And he's sitting there grumbling away, washing the crusty chillin pot. It's no gift. Right. You could have done it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: So, I mean, obviously there's going to be certain things that, they don't like to do. But what I would say is worth looking into. Right. And I want to be very careful about this because I don't ever like these tools to be used to like, now I'm going to manipulate my husband to get all my needs met and, (laughs) you know, have the robot husband that I always dreamed of. Um, (laughs) Right. Like the, the ideal here is to understand him more deeply, to connect to him more deeply as he is, as opposed to kind of like what we're doing, which is, Trying to understand him from a completely female paradigm and then getting really confused when he doesn't operate mm. in our operating system. Right. So, with the chalin pot, for instance, like there are a lot of times there's things where we're like, okay, why is the chalin pot annoying? Because it's icky and gross. But for a lot of us, if you were to ask your husband, that might not be the actual reason he finds the chalin pot annoying to clean. It might be that he feels like it's not successful. You don't appreciate it anyway. Like there's any number of reasons. And for some guys, of course, they're going to be like, yeah, it's just gross. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it on my white shirt. Why do they have to wear white shirts? <laughs> Everything, You know, but you know, that's just a great example of like, when we're like, okay, it's an, it's a yucky job. Nobody wants to do it. I would check. I would just check and be like, what, what does it mean to you to do the challan pot? Because mm. we often have like a lot more well, it kind of makes me feel like a Shmata. It makes me feel like even after cooking the whole Shabbos, I still have, we have like that whole narrative going on.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. A lot
1: of guys, it's a lot less, there's a lot less story going on. It's just a dirty challenge pot. Wow.
2: <laughs> Love it. Two things come to mind. One, the concept of just because like what's going on in our head and the things, the re- our reasons may be like literally worlds apart from their reasons and that we shouldn't assume that our reasons have anything to do with what they're doing at all. So communication, always ask. It does not hurt to ask. And then the second thing that I loved what you said about like the robot husband, I was thinking about, right, how much of my marriage did I, have I spent like trying to get him to just do what I want and what I need instead of trying to just connect to who I actually married you know, trying to turn him into like the, um, you know, the imaginary paradigm husband who's not in fact who I married. I, I love who I married. Like I'm happy to who I married to. So why am I trying to make him into like random paradigm husbands? <laughs>
1: That's where the mindset work comes in, right? Of, yeah. of just really understanding that we think we're dealing with a husband who's not helpful, but what we're actually, often when I get that story, it'll be like, but he is a good guy. Like, I know he kind of does want to help me. He's just not helpful. Right. The first thing I teach all my clients is just fact versus story. Hmm. Like an unhelpful husband is not a fact. There is no blood test. You cannot prove that in a court of law. There's no like camera that I can use to prove that he's unhelpful. Right. Or doesn't know how to clean the sink or whatever the thing is. Right. That's the story I have about it. And when I start to separate it out, now I get to decide like, okay, he didn't volunteer to take out the garbage. I've got this whole story going about it. Now I'm spinning out. I'm getting frustrated and feeling like a martyr. This is all what I'm creating, right? He just is not volunteering to take out the garbage. That's all that's happening right now. So I get to kind of figure that piece out for myself. So to just wrap up that one,
0: tell us how do we ask for help when we need it so that we are
1: well-received? If it feels vulnerable, it can be so silly, but can feel like vulnerable to ask for the garbage to be taken out. Because again, if we're thinking like, what is this going to cost me? Mm. Right. Just to remind yourself that all this is an opportunity to give. And just like if you watch, you know, a boy playing a video game, the more points he gets, the more excited he is to play more. It's Mm. the same thing. Like this is the game. The game is making wife happy. (laughs) Right. And that I'm offering him a chance to create points. It's actually the opposite of what I think. I'm not running out of opportunities. I'm actually giving him the fuel that's going to make him more motivated to want to connect to me in that way. Um, That's what I like to remind myself of. Mm, That's great. It's a completely different mindset shift. Yeah.
2: Okay. So something else that we had brought up um, was the whole concept and this has been in, I've seen many articles about it, the concept of mental load that then um, weighs us down as women. And then we get resentful that why am I in charge of everything? So the whole concept of mental load, that's also something that comes up a lot. You see?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely more for women who've been married a bit longer. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it was definitely a, a major talking point during COVID, right? Mm. Because a lot more women were working from home and managing children where that was not, you know, as common. I think like a lot of companies, I think actually got a lesson
3: yeah, um,
1: during sure. COVID, but, um, I get really nervous every time there's a new term (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) because again, as a mindset coach, I want to know how we're using it. Mm. Right. And I think that with mental load for some women, probably the women who coined it, it's validating and it helps us communicate what we're experiencing Mm -hmm. and I'm able to describe it. And then you're able to understand, and then we're all able to have a conversation. But I think that for some women, they aren't necessarily experiencing the same thing, but now that it has a name and it's present, it's not presented like, Hey, we decided to call this mental load. It's presented as there's a thing out there called mental load as if it exists like a rock. Hmm. Right. And, and now you have someone who could be going like, Oh, well, Oh yeah, that's my mental load. That's the mental load. That's because I'm a woman. Now I have to deal with the mental load. Right. And she could start just chalking everything into that space, which I would, I would, be concerned that that's going to end up putting her in more of a victim mode Mm. than if maybe she didn't have that term in the first place. And that wasn't like just a reality of being a mom or, you know, kind of how it was presented. Um, So I think it's important that we are just like making sure to use it. First of all, I just like to say like anything that's a term like that doesn't exist. It's not, it's not measurable. It's not a real thing, right? If you want to use it to describe your experience, go ahead. Like I have no problem with that but let's not talk about it as if it's anemia. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's not the same thing. And so we just need to understand like, this is a construct we made up. We put some words together. They sound really good. It helps us remember it and refer to it. But if I'm using that against myself and I'm using that to just make myself more of a victim and, and you can see if you're being more of a victim by your actions, are you proactively solving for it? Or are you feeling like, I wish I could pro? I do this all the time, by the way, I have this story about having four young children, right? And like, I'll watch myself just go straight into victim mode. If someone's like, well, how come you can't just schedule it in your calendar? And I'm like, well, you just don't even understand. Like my (laughs) three-year-old had a fever for three days last week and blah, 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 right? I'm not, whatever is going on in my story at that moment, if I'm going to that place is not helping, Right. So if I look at my actions and my actions are not finding proactive solutions, getting the care that I need, getting the support that I need, any of those types of actions, then I'm probably using it against myself. Hmm. And I might want to just describe it in a way that, felt that, that feels more empowering to me or just feels more, even just compassionate might be enough.
0: Hmm. We use it against our husbands because this is a female thing, mental load, and that can create resentment. Like you don't yes. have the mental load. I'm the one carrying this. That's really yeah. interesting. But it is, it, it can be a thing, right? We just need to, like you're saying, we need I, to yeah, be like very responsible. I would responsible. just look
1: at like, I'm, you know, what are my facts? Like if you're the one that's on the class WhatsApp and you're the one that the teacher has your number and you're the one that makes lunches and, you know, like, and is dealing with the allergies or whatever. So then I would just like, look at those facts. And if you want to call it mental load, cause that works for you, great. Or if I just want to say like, hey, here's all the things that I'm managing right now. He, I, I, Do you want to talk about he's not? Maybe, mm. like, or maybe it could just be like, I have a partner. I think this is actually, Rivki, what you were referring to, which is there's a partner here. There's another parent here. I've got a lot on my plate what can I do about it? I think it's probably going to get most people to a better place than saying like, this is the mental, I mean, I just, just the phrase mental load, it's like yeah. your brain is weighted down. How are you supposed to be creative? Right. Um, and then I think that that's kind of what you were saying was like, it's hard to release. It's hard to like, um, to delegate sometimes actually mm-hmm. I hate the word delegate with spouses. Right. Cause mm-hmm. you're not del- like, <laughs> who are you to delegate? Yeah. But to like hand something over to our spouse because we do it as delegation, right? Mm-hmm. We do it as like, I'm still the CEO of this area <laughs> and I would like you to perform according to my job description,
2: exactly. right? And, my, and all of my specifications, because it must be done exactly the way that <laughs> I would do it. Because if you do it yeah. and I owed a different thing than I would do it, then clearly you're doing it wrong.
1: I should have just done it myself, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Why bother? So like, I always say, like, if you want to hand something over, like imagine yourself taking the reins and putting them firmly in your husband's hands, how success is measured is no longer up to you in that area. And then you get to just make a more, that's more thing, how it's done, when it's done, all of those things are no longer up to you if you want to hand it over. And then you get to make an honest decision of, you know what, I want to keep all of these things on my plate because I don't like the discomfort of him being in charge of it you know, especially with newlyweds, right? So one that came up, has come up with several clients is the husband and bill paying, right? Like getting the bills paid on, they're just figuring out bill paying for the first time, a lot of these guys, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're figuring out bill paying and she feels a little more responsible. Maybe she was more academic, more on top of deadlines as a person, right? And now she's married to this guy, but for whatever reason, he's doing it, right? They've decided that he's going to do it. And I like to just take them through, like, let's just really go to where case scenario like what if your lights need to be shut off once for him to figure out how to pay a bill okay go to a hotel for a night like i what we're but instead it's like but it might get done wrong and then she's just holding on to all of it he might parent wrong so he never gets a chance to figure it out right. he might not pay the bills right like give him space to make all the mistakes cuz we especially with parenting most girls had so much more exposure to children growing up than boys Right. Yeah. And so we've been able to make a lot of mistakes. Like they just might need to do some of that, you know, so that they get to figure it out. But on the other side of that, you haven't an involved an active parent. When we're able to illustrate for our husbands what something creates for us, like what that will do for us, like this will just release so much pressure from my mind. That's points. Right. And I think that that's something that we also sometimes forget to do, because as women, we're a little bit more wired socially towards negativity and avoiding negativity. Like I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be disliked. And then we try to use that on our husbands, but they're not wired that way, right? Like they couldn't really care less if you judge them for whatever they're doing.
2: I love this. I love how like, I feel like these are also both um, these concepts, like the concept of mental load is like very much related to what we were talking about at first, which is the um, like the stories we tell ourselves and the mind work and how, how to do it and how to figure out like I like that, what you said about um, if the term is not getting you to a place of solving it and figuring out how to alleviate the pressure that you're under but if it's sticking you straight into like martyr mode then Mm -hmm. it's not a helpful thing and just like that concept of being aware of where our thoughts are taking us that's one of the things I love the most about your podcast are all of those like oh I can actually shift this narrative that's going that's very unhelpful narrative whatever it is in my head and like really kind of redirect.
0: Well, Kayla, I'm learning so much. This is the advantage of being a podcast host, right? That's why we started it. Really? No,
2: just kidding. Not really. Yeah.
0: Like we get to meet the most awesome people and learn so much. Um, Okay. So let's, let's do one more. Tell us another, another common issue that you see and from relationships.
1: Okay. So definitely further down the line, like we were saying, there's kind of that point where people are looking up, you know, five to seven years and sort of like what, what happened? Like, what have we been building so far? And then maybe even further down, maybe around 10, 15 years, people starting to feel like they've gotten into a rut, right? Relationship rut. Like it's not feeling as new. It's not feeling as fresh. Um, So I would say that that's definitely another one that again, Mm. we can probably assume would be across the board. That's not created exclusively because of our firm lifestyle. Yeah. What does that rut look like? So as a coach, I'm going to say that it looks like a lot of thoughts. (laughs) It looks like a lot of thoughts of like, oh, they're always doing that again. And this is never going to change. And you know, that's just our dynamic, better get used to it. Or Mm. um, I know date night's important, but I don't even (laughs) want to.
2: (laughs) So is it again, turning to thought work to kind of change the story, to look at what are the facts and changing the story to get out of the rut? Or is there, are there also other things that we can do to how do we get out of the rut?
1: So Rabbi Dr. Akiva Tatz talks about this. He has an amazing, amazing marriage class on simpletoremember.com that my oh. husband and I, he makes a joke like you should listen to this once a month. We took him seriously. And then at one point, like my husband is emailing him and he's like, are you still listening to it every month? That's you need so to stop. Funny. Right. <laughs> so, um, but one of the things he talks about is just what is the concept of inspiration? What do we understand from Torah? Which is that... It's like a little child whose parents are holding, you know, her hands as she doesn't know how to walk yet. And then at some point the parent lets go of the hands and the child is like, how could that happen? That's horrible. But then now the child is capable of learning how to walk and learning how to walk on her own is so much more exciting than what she was able to do in the beginning. Right. And that is the Jewish concept of inspiration that we have this gift. The child didn't earn. She wasn't able to walk in the beginning The the love that you feel that. I'll say most people feel it's not a tragedy or a disaster if you don't feel that way, but that most people feel very early on in a marriage is a gift that's just given to you. And it's really interesting from the psychological perspective, there is a major hormonal surge in the very beginning. It's called um, the infatuation cocktail, right? Mm -hmm. Of of certain hormones that just go crazy and they make all sorts of different changes. Um, But we get that surge in the beginning of inspiration and then you know, the hormones subside and whatever else Hashem has built into the picture that now life comes and, you know, we start dealing with it. And now that's not there just given to us. We have to earn it for ourselves. But then we're the girl that learned how to walk, right? Now we've actually built something even more valuable than than that initial infatuation.
2: Like a deeper, like a deeper, more layered and nuanced um feeling like a depth to the infatuation Infatuation is by nature shallow you know because you don't you don't really know this person yet
0: (laughs) i was just gonna say you also haven't dealt with struggle and and tribulation and and and, you know hard times i mean when you're raising children and you can look back and it's been 15 20 years i mean look at the look at the journey um the challenges that you've been through and, and please god that you know the relationship has gotten stronger through that
1: yeah, it's kind of like, what were you infatuated with, really? <laughs> right? Nothing was put into action at that point. <laughs> yeah, like it was kind of what you were sort of presuming he was. Like you mm-hmm. had a pretty good idea and you were infatuated with that. And then later you like really know what he's made out of. And that's what you're in love with. And it's a, a much more solid, I think, experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll just say, so that so you would ask sort of, is this just thought work? It's kind of two things that I'll offer you. Number one, I would always say to somebody who says, you no, know, we're in a rut Just like I said, with mental load, there is no rut, right? Like Mm. you can't show it to me. Let's just be careful with the terms that we're using. Because if you say to me, we're in a rut, that's a story. And if we try to get positive about a story, you can't get yourself outside that story, right? So you need to get to like, what are the facts of the situation and just acknowledge like, oh, I'm calling that a rut, Mm. right? Husband said this, dinner went like this, whatever the thing is. We didn't go on a date for the last six months. I'm calling that a rut. Oh, I could call that something else. But I can't say we're in a rut, how do I feel good about that? That's not gonna work, right? Cause I'm sort of painting a negative picture in the first place. So could you call it another negative word? Meaning like, if you can back it up with facts, why can't we call it a rut? So you absolutely can, and you are doing that, right? Not you, but the person who's saying yeah. is doing that. But you wanna see what's happening, right? So let's use the example of, we haven't been on a date for six months and one person could say, this is proof that we're in a rut or things oh. have not are not exciting for us but another person could say we have been on a date for six months and look how strong our relationship is that we don't even need this Mm. date thing. You know what I'm saying? And maybe a person's not going to jump right from one to the other. They might just jump to like, I'd really like us to start going on dates again. I
0: see. Meaning when, when you put a name to it, you're sort of like making a big deal out of it versus like, wait a minute, maybe let's look back and say, well, why haven't we been on a date in six months? Well, you you know, we just moved or you've been really busy at work or there are these factors. Let's try to be sympathetic, a compassionate, understanding why things are like this. And I'm
1: going to ask for what I want. I'd like to go on a date. Versus like we're in a rut, disaster mode. Right, it's like painting the whole thing gray, and then like, so how do I fix this? You can't. You just painted it gray when you called it a rut. Got it. Right. You want to back up a little bit. Um, so that would be one thing. The other one that I like to that I, I find very helpful is that you can't be judgmental and curious at the same time. Authentically, <laughs> you, could, you know, you feel like what in the world is going on in their head. You know, that's not authentically curious. So if I'm in feeling like I'm in a rut, it's probably if I were to start watching what my thinking is, like just imagining kind of like, I I just put a recorder in my head and start catching all of those thoughts that are running through as I'm interacting with my husband, I'll probably find some judgmental thoughts, right? And it's very simple to switch to curiosity. Most of us know what curiosity feels like. We just need to apply it into our relationship. Like, oh, I maybe there's something I'm missing here. I always thought he did that because of this. Maybe there's more to it. I can promise every single person listening to this episode that there is something about your husband you have not discovered yet. It's not possible that you understand him backwards and forwards. And this is, I think, one of the things that Esther Perel talks about, which I I find to be like the most valuable thing that I've ever come across from her, which is that there's this dichotomy between wanting the security of like, oh, I know him so well. He's so predictable. That makes me feel very safe. And like, I can be vulnerable in this relationship, but that is also what takes away that attraction. Right. So that, that attraction that I want, that interest that I want, isn't so compatible with that. Like he's totally predictable. So I find like, that's where the curiosity piece comes in. And I will like, if my husband's going to speak somewhere, I will go watch him speak, not Really honestly to support him, I go to watch him speak because I want to see him in a totally different context.
0: Wow. I want to see how beautiful. people are seeing him. I'm
1: watching them and I'm thinking, like, what do they think about him? Like, why did they, you know? And I, I'm just like, oh, there's this, who's that guy? Like, I try literally try and imagine like he's as different and unpredictable as possible. How do I like create that separation? Because that creates that tension that goes back into that, that attraction that you have in the beginning of like. I don't really know this person. This is kind of exciting. This is new. This is fresh, right? We can always get that, but we have to get into that curiosity first.
0: So I love this idea. It's very practical and very hopeful, you know, uh, anyone who might be experiencing a rut or whatever you want to call it um, <laughs> or any any challenges. It's like, wait a minute, let's try to put on different glasses and let's try to be more curious and, and discover more things that we can admire and appreciate about our spouse.
2: Kayla, thank you so, so, so much for coming and giving your time to share your wisdom and your wit. And I think that there's so much in this episode that our listeners are going to benefit from. And to see like that some of the stuff that maybe they're experiencing in their marriage is really just normal. And that it's not something that we are at the mercy of, but we really have the tools within us to be able to make sure that we're not telling a story that's not serving us, but to to be able to like really take charge of our life and our marriage and to really have like, an authentically good connection. And I'm just so excited for everybody to hear this episode. And I thank you so much for your time. Thank
1: you so much for having me on.
0: Rifki, I gained so much from that interview.
2: Yes. Isn't she just fantastic?
0: Uh, I I get it. I just, I feel honored to have, have her on. I mean, she's, she has so much to contribute just because I'm like super sensitive to people's struggles and because I am like very sensitive to the fact that this is like a very hot button topic talking about marriage. But I, you know, I'm just sensitive to the fact that, you know, our listeners, everyone's coming at this from a different angle and everyone has a different experience. So like, if there's something here, like our conversation about, you know, taking out the garbage or who's washing the crusty challenge pot and you're like, oh my gosh, like, the issues that I have go way beyond that. You know what I mean? I just want to acknowledge that and validate it that, um, you know, if, if something here hit home for you, we are thrilled. If something here didn't resonate as much, we acknowledge that. But the tools that she provides and we are going to review them and our takeaway, I think are just like core basic elements of healthy relationships. And, and no matter what the struggle is, like, you know, my struggle may be different than your struggle. Hopefully some of the pieces of wisdom that she shared here and these, you know, techniques can be applied no matter what the situation
2: is. Yeah, exactly. Alex. That's exactly what I was thinking too, is just that, um, you can take, remove the situation itself. Like the situation itself is almost not important because the tools that Kayla talked about in our interview are really applicable to any situation. Now some situations are sure going to have like a, a a greater emotional weight than others. You know, we also know that like, you know, the crusty cholem pot, if it adds up over the course of 12 years, so that crusty cholem pot is also going to have a pretty strong emotional weight. You know what I mean? (laughs) And that's something that she mentioned. It's
0: oftentimes, and I remember my father teaching me this. It's not about the garbage. It's not about the cholin pot. Like often it's, these are just sort of symbols for whatever the greater, deeper issue is. And she
2: really talks about that. Exactly, and her tools can really get to the root—not the symptom, but the actual root right. of whatever the conflict is.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, Kayla, thank you. Hope you're still <laughs> listening. <laughs> now it's time for today's takeaway. Here are the areas Kayla said she sees women struggling within their marriages. Number one, asking for help. Two, understanding differences in communication and motivation three, relationship ruts, and four, mental load. Which one most resonates with you?
2: Which of Kayla's tools do you think will help you the most? Changing the narrative of the story in your mind, not catastrophizing and jumping to negatively label things, or remembering that husbands are motivated differently than we are. So go ahead and give them those points. Now it's time for five questions with a normal from woman. Today's normal from woman is Liba Steen from Baltimore
3: can you fall asleep with dishes in your sink yes i can totally fall asleep with dishes in the sink um i decided early on when i got married that i can either have a pristine household or be a happy mother and i decided on the latter um it, my only time i would worry about doing the dishes is if i think it was a chinoch thing that i was showing my kids that i wasn't being responsible about my chores um, but otherwise i'm totally fine with that What's your favorite mitzvah and why? My favorite mitzvah is Hoda When I think Hoda really comes from the concept of Modal al ha'emes. And to me, if you honestly look at your life, you see the most incredible things a Kaddish Baruch Hu gives you. Um, and when you do that, it, it, for me personally, I find that when I think about those things, that is really how I build my relationship with a Baruch Hu. Um, that, that po- the recognizing the positive that he does really gives me that connection. I'm a very tov type of person. And just thinking about what a kadash gives me and, and really being honest with myself and appreciating that, um, I think really is what makes me feel so close to a because he has given us so much incredible, wonderful things, everything from my social circle, my children, my husband. And um, so I, yes, hoda. What do you do to recharge? To recharge, I absolutely need some time in my own head. Um, I love to go running and listen to a podcast. And then actually the last half of my run, I turn everything off and just try to be in my own head and just sort of think about things or let my mind wander. Um, that time in my own head to think is really important. Um, but then on the other side of it, I actually really need some social time. And I really make sure that every is at least um, I get to take a nice long walk with one of my good friends and just have that social time. That's really important. Um, And once in a very blue moon, um, when life really gets super, super busy, um, I I really actually just go AWOL. Um, I have a wonderful husband who is willing to watch my children for a day or two, and I go somewhere where I don't have to be responsible for anyone or anything. Um, I don't do that very often, but once in a very blue moon, and it is incredibly, incredibly recharging. What part of your personality do you love? I like that I'm exuberant and enthusiastic. Um, I find joy in everything from cicadas that are out here in Baltimore to incredible architecture, and um, I think I find joy in things in things very often. And it makes it um, it makes my family happy. It makes my students happy. Um, on the flip side, I'm also I, I like to think um, I love learning. Um, and, um, I get very enthusiastic about learning and I love, uh, I, I, I really can sit with an idea and think about it, um, see how it applies. Um, and I guess that really does help me with being a mom and a teacher. What do you think the film world needs more of? I think what the firm world needs is actually objectivity. Um, I know that sounds funny. A lot of people have talked about love, and I think that is wonderful. But to a certain extent, sometimes love can actually um, distort things. And, and sometimes I think we need to have clarity and to take a step back and to remove ourselves from our emotions. Because very often, if you look at something objectively, you can think of reasons why people do something. You can see that they have a different point of view and good reasons for it. I think that sometimes our emotions um, really color our understanding of someone else's trials and tribulations and motivations and actually can cause sometimes actually Um I think to be objective and to really let your, take yourself out of the situation and evaluate the situation for what, it's, for what it is exactly can actually take away a lot of undue machlokas. so we've come to the end of the episode.
2: Thanks for getting this far. If you've listened to all 10 of our episodes, consider yourself a Normal From Woman fan.
0: In honor of our 10th episode, please take a minute to rate and review our podcast. We'd so appreciate it. Thank you. Also, we'd love to hear from you. So you can send us an email at normalfromwomen at gmail.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram. See you next episode.